Welcome to the Sisters in Service podcast. My name is Kat Corchado. I'm a fellow Air Force veteran who, after 20 years of active duty, struggled with transition after leaving service. The Sisters in Service podcast is a platform to include all women veterans, organizations, military spouses, and Blue Star Gold Star families in talking about the trials and triumphs we face while in service and after service. A new episode will be released every Tuesday, and I hope that you'll take a listen. And if you like it, you'll share, leave me a review, or even let me know what subjects you would like to hear, especially if you're a woman veteran. And so thank you so much for those that have listened in the past. And thank you so much for following me on this journey as I continue with podcasting. Take care. Welcome to another episode of Sisters in Service. I am your host, Kat Corchado. And today I have as my guest, Mara Spence Carroll. Now you're probably wondering, why is this person special? Well, here are two reasons. One, she is the reigning Miss Colorado. And number two, if that's not enough, she's also still active duty in the Army. So Mara, welcome to Sisters in Service. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. So I'm very excited to have a fun conversation with you. Awesome. So first and foremost, you are in the Army, correct? Yes. I'm stationed at Fort Carson. So I'm in the 4th Infantry Division. And I've been here for coming up on three years, but I am ETSing in a couple of months. Oh, do you know where you're going? I think I'm going to stay in Colorado because I want to finish school here. and. I, I don't have anywhere else I want to live at this point in time. I'm thinking about going reserves as well, but I still have to decide whether I want to do that or not. Right. Um, so I have I have a lot of decisions coming up, a lot of decisions I need to make fast. But I'm just very excited to step into you know the next next chapter of life, but still enjoy what I'm what I'm doing right now. Absolutely, I never was stationed in Colorado, but I did go, get to go to Colorado Springs to NORAD. Oh that, my gosh, the, yes. Oh my goodness. That looks like something out of a movie. But yeah. it was it was amazing. I was like, okay, if anything goes down, I'm gonna knock on that big old door <laughs> and say, please let me in. That's the plan for most of us. <laughs> so this is actually I can actually tell a fun story then. So right before COVID happened in the spring of 2020, I'm an all source intel analyst. So at the battalion level, I work in an S2 shop, the intelligence section. And NORAD uh, has an agreement where they will take in analysts from 4ID and I think Peterson and Triver Air Force bases, now Space Force bases as well, mm-hmm. so that they can gain strategic experience because I work at the tactical level. And I applied for the program to have an internship there for three to six months and I got accepted. And then my first day was the day that everything got shut down and I haven't opened the internship back up since COVID started. Oh, so I'm no. st- still, I'm still a little salty about it, but I'll, I'll tell anybody like, yeah, I got into the internship. I just <laughs> didn't get to actually didn't get do to it. Actually do it. Well, my story about NORAD was I was a communications project manager mm-hmm. and I was stationed at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska. And one of my programs was the backup communication system to NORAD. Oh, wow. Right. And I was like, okay, if Nora goes down, then there's a problem. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> there are a lot of things that have to go wrong for NORAD. Right, to, for that's Cheyenne what Mountain I said. To shut down. I did have a friend once who, bless his heart, they were dry. He and his wife were driving around base, 
and it was a really foggy kind of overcast day. And so it was covering up all the lights and things that are on the mountain. And he looks at it and he goes, Oh my God, the lights are out at Cheyenne mountain. And my friend goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, the lights are out. Something's going to happen. And then she was like, yeah. And then, and then she pointed out like, Hey, it's cloudy. And he was like, Oh, that's a a great point. (laughs) (laughs) But also I like, I like the implication that our first sign that something bad is happening is just that the lights are out and we get no other, no other notification. Well, (laughs) the one thing I can say about people who are, who are active duty or, you know, are now a veteran, we're very aware when something's not right. You know what I mean? Yes. We're like, hey, what was, do you hear that noise? What was that? We're not going to go out and look, mind you. <laughs> we just, we just want to know what's going on. We're not, we're not the first to say, let me go outside and check. No, no, that's not good. No, because that's not a survival skill. A survival <laughs> right? skill, a survival skill is recognizing the noise and saying, okay, that's coming from the left side. So I'm going to go to the right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think it's kind of cool because my husband was an analyst in, in the Air Force. Oh, really? that's where I met. Yeah. He was a, he loved that job. Loved it. It was one of the best jobs he said he'd, he'd had. So being in the army, I always ask this question of anyone who is either a veteran or active duty. Did you pick the army or did the army pick you? I would say that I picked the army. So I came from, I actually came from an air force family, kind of oh. my grandfather, my grandfather was in the air force and I knew that I wanted to join the military because when I made the decision, it was kind of a, well, if I'm not going to do anything else with my life, I might as well do this. I think it'll help me. And then I found out all the benefits and it just made sense for me. Like, well, I don't like water. So that, <laughs> that takes out three branches. <laughs> and I, I grew up sailing. I was like, I'm good. I don't want to do, I don't need that anymore. I want to do new things. Right. So that narrowed it down to the air force and the army. And I'm not, I'm not going to, th- I'm not throwing any shade uh, because I was, I was not an in-shape person, but I was like, maybe if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to really challenge myself. And I don't know why I thought that because I know the Air Force has way better quality of life. And I was like, I'm going to go Army and I'm going to prove to everyone that thinks that I can't do it, that I can do it. And uh, that is correct. But I don't think 18-year-old me knew that joining the military in general was such an out of character (laughs) at the time decision that no one would have seen me going into the air force and been like, well, because she didn't want to push herself in the army. Like no one would have thought that. I know. I mean, the air force gets such shade, but you know, it's, I know it's all good. But I also, it was a little, it was me being a little bit rebellious. I mean, as rebellious as you can be. My mom, my mom was not thrilled at first (laughs) with the choice. Um, and she did try to convince me to go Navy or Air Force because she was like, their uniforms are just so much better. And right. I was like, girl. Oh, the Navy that is- uniforms. I almost went in the Navy because of that. Almost. Yeah. Because the Navy, you know, they really are beautiful. But I had to explain to her that fashion wasn't really the first determining factor <laughs> in choosing my branch. I talked to a recruiter and then I ghosted him for two months. And on my 18th birthday, I was staying at a friend's house. I remember it so vividly and it was a sleepover. She was asleep. I was still awake at like 3 a.m. having an existential crisis because <laughs> <laughs> I re- I was sitting there and I was going, I don't have a job. I'm not in school. I, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. I have all these goals and all these plans, but I have no way right. 
to reach any of them. And I was at a point when I was just, I had no direction. Right. I was just kind of, I was kind of floating through and getting through every day. Yeah. I know what you mean. That's what happened to me. I was just kind of, well, you know, mine was just, oh, I'm just going to do four years. And then I did another four and then another four. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to get out. And I was like, oh crap, I'm at 20. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations, you're retired. <laughs> So Mara, what would you tell a young woman going into any of the services? What kind of advice would you give to her? It's, I think it's very hard for women in particular to stand up for themselves and especially in a system that seems to not want to listen to us. Right. So find the people who do listen to you, find the people who do support you and then speak up when things aren't right. Talk to them, do what you can. Because I have been very lucky in that I have been in an insanely supportive chain of command, whether it comes to, you know, Miss America or just my day-to-day job. I know I lucked out with that. I've also had friends who did not luck out and who had to speak up for themselves because no one else would. And it's scary and it's difficult, but you also have the opportunity to move the culture forward for other women who come after you. Yeah. I think when I look back at my career compared to what some of the women are going through right now. And keep in mind, we weren't as advanced as we are now. I was very, very lucky, excuse me, very lucky because I had some very, very supportive people. Mm-hmm. And so when the whole Me Too movement came in, came out and all these things that are happening to women in the military, my husband turned to me and he said, has anything like this ever happened to you? And I said, no. I feel like I was very lucky in that sense. My second question to you is, how did you get into pageant? So remember how I said that I was the least likely person to join the military? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the The pageant world came first. So I started competing in the Miss America's Outstanding Teen organization when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And I was just... I was just this cute little bubbly, like, I'm so excited to be here. I had undiagnosed ADHD and I was in choir and I was like, I'm going to have a great time. And I did. I made some of my best friends competing as a teen, friends that came to Miss America to watch me compete, you know, after eight years, nine years of friendship. Mm -hmm. And I just loved the organization. And I dreamed, of course, of going to Miss America one day. And so I... I put a lot of energy into that. I kept competing. I kept coming back. I just, I, I felt like I could make it there one day, but at the same time, I was like, well, it's not going to happen to me. Like that doesn't happen. That happens to other people, but the accomplishment isn't going to happen to me. And I don't know why I say it like that happening to me instead of, (laughs) you know, me doing it. My teenage years were pretty strange. So in 2015, it was my third year getting ready for Miss Texas outstanding teen. And my sister dies oh, in, in April, April of 2015. I went on to compete at Miss Texas Outstanding Teen. I was top 12. And then it's, it, I fully had to address the fact that my sister was gone and I would have to live with that for the rest of my life. And I kept, and, you know, I competed for another year. And then in May of 2016, my grandfather passes away. And we were very, very close. I mean, he was, he was my father figure. And so then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to compete anymore. I think I'm, I'm just kind of done with it. And I assumed that that was that. I, would, I said, you know, maybe I'll compete in the future when I'm a mess, but I just can't do this right now. I need to focus on my family and healing. And that 
of course, did not help the I feel directionless, this thing that I've been chasing for all these years, I've had to kind of set aside for a moment. And then I enlisted in 2018. Uh, February 2nd, 2018 was when I officially rose my right hand. I was supposed to ship out in September and I was all excited. And all of a sudden my mom messages me and she says, Hey, there's a local pageant happening a month before you ship out. Do you think you might want to compete? And I, I knew I wanted to compete as a miss. I was 18 now. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's go for it. Thinking that I would just gain some experience, you know, you get a scholarship and then that would package the year off nicely. I would go to boot camp. And then I would also go to AIT after that. And that would take another you know, six to eight months. And then I would go to my duty station and figure it out from there. Unfortunately, I win. <laughs> I win not expecting to. It turned out to be a very fortunate thing. So I was Miss Coppell 2019. A month later, I went to basic. And I tried to keep it a secret. I tried not to tell anyone about the Miss America thing. But what I've learned about myself is that I'm very bad at keeping a low profile no matter how hard I try. <laughs> But guess I mean, what? Guess what? Oh, oops. <laughs> Never oh, mind. Sorry. Yeah. It's uh it's not it's not the best habit. Um so during basic we had like this opportunity to get our level 1 certification in combatives before it was a typical thing. Mm-hmm. And the drill sergeants made it clear they said, you know, you're going to have to really stay on top of your stuff. We're going to be watching you more carefully because we don't want to send someone who's a dirtbag uh, to get this honor because it's promotion points and it goes on the ERB and stuff like this. Right. So I was just like, Oh God, what have I done? Uh, and then I told my friends that I was close with about the fact that, yeah, I'm going to be going to miss Texas later this year. It was a non-negotiable part of my identity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at the time it was like, Oh, this is so embarrassing. Like I didn't want anyone to know, but I've grown to appreciate the fact that I was in a space where no one expected me to hide that aspect of myself. Right. And, and no one devalued the things that I was doing otherwise, just because I said, you know, I'm, I want to be a U.S. Army soldier and I want to be Miss America one day. No one judged me. That was really good. Uh, so but then was I got that a the stepping stone to going to Miss America or were there other pageants in between those, those two? No. So that was it. Uh, so I went, these are all in the Miss America organization. So I went to Miss Texas in 2019. I got, I managed to get leave from AIT because I was a holdover waiting for my security clearance. I went to Miss Texas. I won a college interview, which was a $1,000 scholarship. And I was like, cool, okay. Found out I was getting stationed in Colorado, which I had told my mom was the only state that I would compete in. Because <laughs> I was like, well, it doesn't make sense for me to compete in Texas when I don't live there. Right. And I'm not moving back there. And it it just felt like a lot of things falling into place exactly the way that I wanted them to for me to feel comfortable pushing myself like that. It was timing. It's- Timing is always important. Yes. It was. And I got to my unit. I was in my S2 section. And I remember Captain Mac, Captain McLaughlin, who was my first OIC, you know, we started talking about plans for the future. And I was like, oh, I have a 10-year plan. Don't worry. And I grabbed it. And I showed him. And I was like, very matter of fact, I said, at some point in here, I'm going to win Miss Colorado. And I'm going to go to Miss America. And then after that, I'm going to go get finish my bachelor's. I'm going to go to law school. And I was a 19-year-old kid, so you can imagine kind of being like, oh, ha, ha, okay, cool. Oh, how cute. After, and then, yeah. To this day, he still says that I scare him because I I walked in, I was like, oh, I'm going to do these things. And it's like, oh, okay. And then at 21, I win Miss Colorado. 
And it's like, oh, wait, no, you're actually sticking to the plan you wrote out very precisely. It was a funny experience. But the reason I was able to do that in the first place was because my command was really supportive. Yes. And not just supportive of me as a soldier, but they were supportive of the things I wanted to do outside of the army. Yeah, that was the question I was going to ask you is how supportive your command was. It sounds like they were very supportive. You know, when you're competing, whether it's in pageants or I I was an athlete. So Mm -hmm. when you go into a competition, do you go into it for, for you being in pageants? Did you go into the Miss USA saying, I'm competing? I, I'm walking away with this trophy. Or were you like, well, let me just see what happens and get some experience and some exposure? Or do you say, no, I'm why this is mine, y'all. So <laughs> it's, not that you said that to anybody, but you know what I mean? You no, know, it's just it's a very different mindset as well at Miss Colorado versus at Miss America. Because Miss America is very random and that there are 51 women who are just as talented and well spoken and beautiful as you are. And you're putting all of us into a room. So we became fast friends. But at Miss Colorado, that was the first time that I really feel like I was competitive, not in like a, oh, I'm not going to talk to anyone kind of way, but just in the sense that I had prepared myself so fully Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to let myself get distracted. So I was still, you know, I was still friendly. I still made a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. I still had a good time. But when it was time to get the work done, then it was time to get the work done. And whether that was in the interview room or walking on stage before I performed or, you know, any, even in rehearsals, it's like, okay, got to pay attention. Got to make sure it's right. That's just, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just what you, it's no, just you, what just, you do. You perform. That's what you do. Yeah. That's what athletes do. You, you know, you, you perform. How difficult is it to balance both worlds, balance the, you know, the Miss Colorado with, with your active duties? So one of the things I'm most thankful for is the fact that Miss Colorado is not a full-time job the way it is in other states. I mean, Lauren Bradford or Miss Alabama, that is a full-time job. She's constantly doing things and that's what's expected of it. But as Miss Colorado, one, we're not the South. We're not a pageant state. And two, my work comes first. So if I have an obligation that I absolutely can't miss a field training uh, anything like that, then that does come first. And thankfully, my people on the Miss Colorado board are all like, we love our soldier. Do what you need to. And at the same time, my command is willing to give me that flexibility. If I say like, hey, I have a really big event that I'm supposed to appear at and I'm going to speak for, you know, I'm going to be a keynote speaker. Uh, can I leave an hour or two early on Friday? They usually say like, yeah, of course, like go do what you need to. Wow, that's as real, long as that, your work yeah, is done. That's that just takes a huge weight off of you. I didn't compete in 2020 and I wasn't going to. One, I wasn't emotionally ready, I don't think. I was like, I'm not gonna compete until I'm ready to be Miss Colorado. And two, I wanted to build rapport with my unit. I wanted them to understand that I'm a hard worker. I get my stuff done, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm talking about, uh, but I'm also going to do things outside of the office or the battalion or just, you know, my army job, because I have other things that I want to accomplish and you guys can either get on board with it or not. Um, I'll work around the schedule and the, the schedule and responsibilities that I have best I can. Right. And 
and thankfully they were willing to give me that grace and say, you know, every, every once it's not all the time, but every once in a while, like, okay, yeah, you can go and do that. Or I, I went TDY for Miss America, you know, things, little things like that, that just help me do everything that I'm trying to do right now. Right. Because you hold everything down. It's like when you, you know, do your job and you do it well, they don't have a problem with saying, yeah, go do what you got to do. Now, if you, yeah, were, exactly. if you were a slacker, then they might say, mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's a big part of it too, yeah. is that I was, I wanted them to understand, like, this isn't me just trying to get out of things. Right. Because I value doing good work and I value being a good hard worker. And I don't, I, I never wanted them to think that I was trying to get special treatment. I wanted them to understand that this is just something that I'm very passionate about and I also thought that it could help people. I mean, I talk about suicide prevention and the ways that improving soldiers' quality of life can help prevent suicide and Mm -hmm. the ways that we support them. And all of those are important things to our military, not only today, but it's going to be in the future. And that's a a great segue because I was going to ask you about being an advocate for mental health care and suicide prevention. Why is that Mm -hmm. so important to you? So there's two sides of it. Uh, The one side is that I have gone through the Army Behavioral Health System, and that's how I got my ADHD diagnosis. I have a therapist. I take medication every day. So suicide is preventable. We know that. And we can prevent people from dying by suicide by ensuring that they are supported by their community, and that includes at work, at home, doing things, I mean, having hobbies, having good behavioral health care. And that includes not having a six to eight week waiting period for a first appointment. Right. Let's start <laughs> <And> improve- there. <laughs> Let's start there. But to do that, then we have to have more providers. And to have more providers, we need a larger budget. And it's like there's a lot of aspects of it that people, I think, don't take into consideration. When I say, like, my goal is to prevent people from dying by suicide, they think that I'm just going to be like, please keep living and that I don't have an actual plan right. or ideas or an understanding of how to make that happen. But the other aspect of it is that, like I said, I lost my sister and I lost my grandfather. Losing my grandfather was sad, but it wasn't heartbreaking because he lived a long, full life. Right. I mean, he had so many experiences and my sister died very young, very suddenly. She was five years old. and that grief never leaves you. No, it never And does. so I, it never does. And so I realized that through suicide prevention, I could not only hopefully help people from feeling like that is their only option or like that is going to be the only escape they have, but also help their loved ones not have to experience this lifelong grief. Right. So for someone who has a family member, they know something's wrong. They're just not sure what. What are some of the signs that that you know family members can look out for? It can be difficult because again, as some I have chronic depression. So I have periods where I do pull away from people and I just go quiet. But things to look out for include if someone is pulling away, they aren't communicating as much, they aren't going out as much. And I don't mean like going out and partying. I mean they don't have the energy to do things. If you notice that they aren't taking care of themselves as much, um, I would say that social media is a big indicator as well. I like I pay attention a lot to the things that my friends post. And even if it's a, a good thing, sometimes you can be like, hey, you doing all right? 
the most important part of it is understanding the relationship you have with someone. And when those, when they deviate from those patterns, that is a warning sign. Right. It's also important to recognize that some people are very good at hiding that they're struggling, but if they feel the need to go home and drink a six pack of beer every night just to relax, that's not healthy. That's not, not healthy either. <laughs> <laughs> and then I see, you know, again, as a, as an advocate, I see so many, I'm in an infantry battalion. So I see these soldiers who also live in the barracks saying like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go and, you know, grab a 30 rack and, and drink until 2am. I'm like, it's a Tuesday, man. Right. And I'm not saying that to be like, you're down bad. I'm saying that to be like, Hey, I think you need to talk to someone. But even then it's so ingrained in our culture, especially in combat arms to not, to not talk about it, to not get help because so many people don't realize that getting that help is not only preventative, but it's very brave because it's showing that you want to make sure that you are okay before you put yourself into situations in the future, whether it be a deployment, a mission, whatever it is, that can exacerbate any problems that you're currently having. Well, there's also that stigma that if you have a security clearance that it could possibly be held or pulled or whatever. And that's sad to me that that's, that people still think that way because I would like to think that it's different now than it was back when I was in, because, you know, people, and we saw people who had, I don't want to call them issues, but we knew something was wrong. We just didn't Mm -hmm. know what, but all of a sudden they would, you know, go to another duty station, they would PCS and you would never see them. And so that's, I don't know if that's how they, they just worked it that way back then or do, are, you know, are they, I, I would love to think that they're actually working the problem. You know what I mean? That they're saying, okay, let's see how we can help this person. So when you're out and about, you know, you're, you're not uniform, you're not doing your Miss Colorado duties. What do you do for you? How do you take care of yourself? I love going to Trader Joe's. I don't know if that counts as a hobby, but I will count it as a hobby. (laughs) Um, I'm also a big fan of, this is going to sound really cheesy, but again, I, I call it, um, shaking the brain out. So when I have a day where it's like, I'm just off mm-hmm. and those happen. Cause again, chronic depression, I'm mm-hmm. sometimes just going to have periods where I'm struggling and I'll just go for a really long drive in the mountains. Just helps me think, helps me look at everything around me and realize like, okay, we're, we're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. We don't have to do anything. We're just going to look at this tree and enjoy this beautiful Colorado weather that we're having. Right. I'm also big into crocheting which is not a cool, sexy hobby. I love crocheting. Um, I used to, I I mean, I still have bins and bins of like yarn that I can't get rid of. Yeah. (laughs) That I don't want to get rid of. During quarantine, I went really hard in the paint and I was like, I'm going to be a crocheter. And I kept like half finishing hats and Mm -hmm. pot holders and then not actually (laughs) ever finishing anything. I think there's something very soothing about just, especially when you get past the trying to, to um, learn a new stitch, once yeah. you get going and you're, and it's flowing and it's mm-hmm. like, you really don't think about anything else. You're just doing that. Yeah. You know, it's I, a, I think it's very cool. I think it's cool anyway. Well, I agree, but my friends don't. <laughs> so <laughs> I will say, I love crocheting. If maybe I'll finally finish the blanket I've been working on for two years. 
I'm on, I'm only, um, I think 20 frozen. So I've got a while to go. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I got a while. Uh, one more hour. Where, where can people find you if they want to, you know, get you for a speaking engagement or they have a question to ask you maybe about being an advocate for mental health or whatever, where can they find you? Oh my gosh. Well, if anyone is interested in having me speak in an event, which I love doing or just appearing, I love meeting people. Half of my job as Miss Colorado is doing the politician thing and shaking hands and kissing babies. <laughs> but I love babies, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> so you can email me at Miss M-I-S-S Colorado at MissColorado.com. And then you can also follow me on Instagram at Miss M-I-S-S America, spelled the normal way, C-O. But um, Mara, it's been such a pleasure having you. I'm so glad you said yes to this invitation. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting. The one thing I love about this is meeting people. But with COVID, that's been really hard to do. So right. between, you know, th doing this and meeting people and, you know, doing Zoom, I never get tired of Zoom because I get to see people, I get to see their faces and I get to talk to them. So, you know, I'm just one of those weirdos that I just... I never have Zoom fatigue or any other fatigue, but um, it's been such a pleasure having you on. Keep us updated on what you're going, you know, what you're doing in Colorado and, you know, how we can help. But for everyone else, for my listeners, my sisters in service, thank you so much for listening. As always, please take care of each other. Stay safe. And until next time. Mm -hmm.